Let's prepare our hearts and minds for God's word. What do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away? Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God, my Savior. And my hope is in you all day long. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Help us, O God, our Savior, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Rise Church. How's everyone doing today? Good, good, good. Sounds good. Hey, question for us as we or as we prepare, uh, we are taking a deep dive into Psalm 23. And uh, as we do, if you're a visitor with us, one of the things we do as uh, with each one of our sermon series is we learn a scripture, memory verse. Uh, if you're a visitor, you get a pass today. For the rest of you, you should hopefully have been learning this. And uh, we're going to be doing this now until probably the end of March. And by that time, we'll really know this scripture as well. So this is our scripture. If you would just read it, and then we're going to mix it up here a little bit. So if you would read with me. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Okay, let's tighten this up a little bit. All right, go ahead. <clears throat> Now we get a little bit tougher. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> All right, we're going to have to work on that a bit here. Tighten this up a whole lot. So a question as we start this morning, what kind of a driver are you? Uh, some of you, I know I can just see it already from you, that um, you are the type of driver, and most of the time this is guys, you are the type of driver who you, at point A to point B, you get there as quickly as possible. None of this scenic route stuff, you just get there as quickly as possible. And if you're a woman, you're saying, I'm married to that man. You got to make sure that you don't drink too much coffee and you make sure that when you stop at the gas station, you get in, you get out because this car isn't stopping again until we get to the next gas station. Any ladies like that? Yeah, there's a bunch of guys like us. I'm one of those guys who pointed, not, not so bad because at this age now, it's I'm the one who's stopping at the restroom and not so much, the, <laughs> not so much my wife. But uh, I'm married to the, uh, the scenic route person. <laughs> yeah, it's so a few weeks ago we went up to Manitowoc and uh, look around Manitowoc and I guess it's called Trivers, I, I didn't realize it. it's Trivers, uh, we went up there and looked around, had Valentine's Day lunch and that kind of stuff and on the way back, Beck says, hey, can we take the scenic route home? That's LS, some of you know that, yeah, 35 miles an hour, and I'm saying to her, how long is this road going to be, is this going to be 35 miles the whole way? And she goes, oh no, some of it's 25 miles an hour. It's like, <laughs> and so once it finally gets up to 55, this guy pulls right out in front of me. That was the last time he made a, a, a fast move. He had one of these little donut tires on the back of his car, so he couldn't go very fast at all. And, and it seemed like, you know, it's through that section where you're doing all this, and it's like, ayah, do we just get turned off or something? And at one point, Becca says, oh, this road is going to take us right past Piggly Wiggly, you know, on the north side. She's going to take us right past there. And I'm thinking, no, it's not. 
Oh, that's not going to go there. That doesn't go that way. And as we get closer, I said, no, no, this road isn't going to take us by Piggly Wiggly. That's, that's off over this direction. As I'm seeing Piggly Wiggly pass me on the, on the left-hand side, it's like, oh, she was right the whole time. But she just sits there. It's like, no, no, I won't, I won't rub it in your nose. But she knew where she was going because she'd been there. She'd been up to Manitowoc a few weeks ago, a few weeks before, and she never takes the interstate. She'll take the scenic route every single time. Get lost, can't find where she's going, but sooner or later she'll figure out which which road she needs to be on. But you know when you think about the 23rd Psalm, as we take this another dive deep into the 23rd Psalm, Jesus is the one who's leading us today. We'll see that. And he leads us in two ways. He leads us back. He leads us back to himself, and then he leads us in the path of righteousness for his namesake. That's a huge deal. That's a huge deal. He leads us. He does for us what we can't do ourselves. He leads us back to himself and then brings us to the place where people will see him in and through us for his namesake. This is, this is cool stuff. As we open up, we open up in Psalm 23, and this is the, the verse that we're looking at this morning. It says, He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Then when it says restores my soul, it, 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 this is a, I'm going to geek you out here really quickly. Just, just hold with me for a minute. The way that it's written in the original language, it, it's a really funky way. And, and it's a way that to, to understand it better, it's he does for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He restores us. It, it really means he brings me back, is literally the word. He brings my soul back to him. He does for me what I could not do on my own. Let me give you two illustrations of that. I was watching a few years ago this on, uh, I think it was America's Funniest Videos. I don't know what was funny about it, but this kid had his foot stuck in the toilet. It's like, how in the world does a guy, guy get his foot stuck in the toilet? And so the, the firemen were there and the policemen were there and they had the toilet up off the, up off the, the floor and the kids screaming and hollering. They got grease. They're pumping grease into the, into around this kid's foot, but I don't know if it's swollen up or what. They couldn't get his foot unstuck. And mom is there and she's, everybody's worried about getting his foot out. And I'm thinking, just use a hammer. Just, you know, stick a crowbar in your wallet, buy another toilet. I mean, if your kid is, you know, going to put his foot in the toilet, you're going to have to buy a new toilet. But then I saw this week some divers off of Mexico, and they came across uh, a whale, and they could see it was in a distress. There was a net. There was a net all the way around the head of this, of this whale, and all it could do was go to the surface and breathe. And so they went down, and they thought, okay, we're going to help out this whale. We're going to get this net off of this whale. And at first, the whale was having no part of it, but finally realized, hey, these people are trying to help me out. And for the longest time, they worked to free this whale from the net that was around its head. They did for this whale what it could not do on its own. And this is what he's saying here. He restores my soul. He brings my soul back to him. Because here's the thing. Sheep left to their own will wander every single time. Sheep have a tendency. Left to their own will wander. And you know... They get themselves into places, they wander into places where they shouldn't be. A sheep may have its head down, and it's just eating the grass, and when it puts its head up, it realizes the whole flock is gone, and it's standing there by himself. There's something that's going to happen there, too. We'll see that in a minute. But some sheep are prone to wander. Some sheep, just they're, they're prone to wander. They're always looking at where's the grass greener, and even though the shepherd has them in the right place, they'll go and where the grass is greener. They have a tendency to, to wander. But there's something else with sheep that the, the shepherd needs to watch out for. He not, he not only needs to watch to see which ones are wandering, but he needs to make sure that none of his sheep are cast. What in the world does it mean to be cast? I've got a picture of here of a sheep that's cast. That's what it means. Sheep have a tendency to do this, especially if they're heavy with lambs. They will, <clears throat> they will lay on the side of a hill. And when they get, try to get back up, whoop, they'll get turned over. And that's the way they sit. They can't, change their, they can't change their circumstances. They're cast. And what happens is gas builds up in their stomach, and they, they don't do anything. They kind of flail the, their legs for a little bit. But if the shepherd's not watching, they're open game for any predator. And so he's watching out, to, and he comes back, and he will turn the sheep over. He will restore that sheep back to where it should have been. He will do for that sheep what it couldn't do on its own. 
And you know, when a sheep, when a sheep is lost, when a sheep wanders away, its first instinct, its first instinct is to hide. Isn't that interesting? Its first instinct is to hide. It will go and it will hide. When Adam and Eve sin in the garden, Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, verse 8, it said, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. Remember, they, they ate the fruit that they shouldn't have eaten, and they tried to cover themselves up with, with fig leaves. I don't know if you've ever seen fig trees. When we were in California, uh, when we were learning language, we were right across the road from a fig orchard. Those leaves aren't very big at all. They don't, they don't cover a whole lot. And, and they, they try to hide. Think about this. And God calls them and he says, he says, Adam, where are you? Is that because God doesn't know where they are? God knows where they are. He's asking them the question, where are you? And they said, we heard your voice and we hid from you. Why did you hide? Our first and our natural instinct whenever we're caught in sin is to do what? It's to hide. Guys, that's our natural tendency. When we are called on the carpet, if we're caught with pornography, our first reaction is to say, well, it's not really that bad. Really? Let's go back and look at the history. Because a man's natural tendency is to downplay it, is to say it's not that bad. Or when we're confronted with something, we'll hide. We won't tell the truth. And it's the natural tendency of a sheep as well. And the natural tendency for in a marriage, or natural tendency for many of us as well, is to wander. It's to wander. The natural tendency for us in a relationship with God is not to grow closer to Him. That takes work. But the natural tendency is to wander. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know, today I think I'm going I'm to, I just I think I'm going to sin today. I think I'm going to backslide today. Nobody wakes up <clears throat> and says that. How do you wander away from God? Gradually. And almost imperceptibly, it happens just in gradual increments. You stop showing up. Stop showing up with a, in a relationship with God. You stop showing up to church. You stop reading. It's just like, oh, I can put this off. I, I can do this. I remember when I was working in the police department, I had one of my sh- as a chaplain, one of my sergeants pulled me aside. He said, chaplain, shut the door. So I shut the door. <laughs> What's going on here? And so he said, uh, what you are I once was. Oh, what, a chaplain? What, what are you talking about? He said, no. He said, he said, I used to have a relationship with God. He said, I was the one who played the drums. He said, church doors were open. He said, I was there. And he said, my wife and I, he said, we, we love to dance. Saturday night, he said, we'd go out. And he said, but Sunday morning, we were, we were in church. And he said, the one Sunday, he said, we got up, and, and it was like, oh, man, we'd been out, and we are tired, and, and his wife said, how would we just sleep in today? And he said, that Sunday became two Sundays, became three months, and he said, I haven't been back to church since. My marriage, he said, I lost my marriage. And, you know, I think about that. The natural tendency in our relationship with God is, is not to grow closer to him. It's oftentimes to drift away. It takes work on our part. Same in our marriage. The natural tendency in your marriage is not to, not to draw closer, it's to drift apart. And one day you wake up and you think, you, you're sleeping next to that lady, and it's like, but do I really know her? And, and you, the kids come along and you get involved with kids, and then something happens. The kids all leave the nest. It's like, ooh, who is that person that's sitting across the table from me now? And the natural tendency in our, in our marriage is not to grow closer, but is to drift apart. And in marriages, does it take work? You better know it takes work. I mean, I, Becca deserves a medal she's putting up with me, you know, all these years. It takes work. I mean, we're stubborn. We have our own way of doing things. And it takes work. You need to invest in your marriages. I tell couples that this time of the year, find a place to go, a place where you don't have to wear a jacket, a place where if you want to, you can take your shoes off and you can just sit on the beach and just look out at the waves. And make an investment in your marriage. Get to know, you know, reconnect with your wife. Talk with her. Talk with your husband again. Because if you don't, the natural tendency is not to drift together, it's to drift apart. And you're going to reach that place where the kids are going to be gone from the house and it's like, who is this person? I don't even know this person anymore. 
It takes work, doesn't it? It takes work to make an investment in, in our marriage. But you know, the shepherd, this psalm and, all, and this, this whole psalm, it comes from the standpoint, not of the shepherd, but of the sheep. And the sheep is saying, he's the one who brings me back. But when you think about that, it costs the shepherd. It, did it cost God to, to do what he did for us? Oh man, did it cost him. It cost him dearly. It cost him the life of his son. It cost Christ his life to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves because God wanted to have a relationship with us. He did what was necessary, what we couldn't do on our own by dying in our place. But it cost him. And it cost the shepherd because it says in in Luke chapter 15, verse 4, it says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? In that parable, there's three things that are lost. There's a lost coin, there's a, there's a lost sheep, and then there's a lost son. And in all three of those, something of great value is missing that deserves an all-out effort to find. We don't quite understand the relationship here between the shepherd and the sheep. But sheep are valuable. And for the shepherd, if one is missing, and remember, sheep aren't the smartest animals around. And for the shepherd to find him, their natural tendency is to hide, and so he's got to go and he's got to find these sheep. And so it's hard. It will cost him because he's got to leave the others behind. Not only does it cost him in that, but we read the next verse, verse 5. It says, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. You know why? I was interested to read that. I was doing some reading on, on shepherds and why they do that. When sheep know that they're lost... Their first tendency is to hide because they're scared. They have no natural defenses. And so when they hide, they're overcome with fear. So even when the shepherd shows up, he'll ask them, he'll call them to to follow him. They won't follow. Why? Because they're so scared. And what the shepherd needs to do at that point is to take him and put him on his shoulders, and he takes him home. And do you notice his attitude? He joyfully puts them on his shoulders. When he finds that sheep, when he brings that sheep back to that place, he is filled with joy. When someone comes back to the Lord, the Lord is filled with joy. He doesn't, I remember as a kid, we had this dog that would always run away. And the dog would be gone all night. Sometimes he'd come back, he'd been sprayed by a skunk. And my dad would wait there. My dad's watching this, but my dad, my dad would wait for him at the door. And when the dog came in, he'd give him a kick in the rear end as he came through the door. And some of us think, Well, when we come back to God, God's just waiting to give me a good kick in the backside as I come to the door. That's not what God is waiting to do. When we turn our face towards God, God is the one who makes the move towards us. And He is the one who brings us back. He is the one who does for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. In the the parable of the prodigal son, it costs the father in two ways. The prodigal son says to his dad, he says, Give me my share of the inheritance. What's the deal with that? What he's in in fact saying is, when does inheritance come? When you die. What is he saying? I wish you were dead. But the father gives his son the share of the inheritance. He goes off and blows it. Blows it and then finds himself feeding pigs. A Jew feeding pigs. And so he's feeding the pigs and he's so hungry, he's willing to even eat what the pigs are eating. Nobody's feeding him. And then he realized, oh, I can go back home. Even my servants, my father's servants at home have more food to eat. And he said, I'll do this. I'll go home and I'll work this debt off. I'll become one of his servants. And he's thinking of all this. And as he's walking down the road, who runs first? The father does. Men in this culture did not run. Because they would have to hike up their, their robe. They did not run, especially a man of his standing. He wouldn't have run. But why does he run? Because he knows what his son has done. His son has shamed not only him, but he shamed the whole, whole village. If he walks back into the village, the village will beat him to a pulp. And the father runs out there, and what he does is costly. He restores him. He says, bring the best robe. Who's got the best robe? The father. He says, put a ring on his finger. That ring that was probably pawned at some point. Put a ring on his finger. He's now part of the family. Put shoes on his feet. He's not a servant. He's part of my family. And kill the fatted calf. And he says, for my son was dead 
and is now alive again. That cost him dearly. But there's a second cost. Because for the second time in the same day the father goes out, there's a banquet being held. And when the son comes home, the older son comes home, he hears all that's happening. You know, your brother's home, and they're throwing a big party for him. They've given him a robe, and he's been restored back to the place of his son. And what does the older brother do? He is mad. He is mad. Because he's been there the whole time, and nothing like this has happened for him. And the father goes out to him. Why is that so costly? Because the one who should have been taking care of the banquet was the older brother. And for the second time in that day, the father goes out, and at his cost, he seeks to bring the son back in. And the son, we're never told what he does. We're left to wonder what he does, but it cost. See, here's the thing. Those sheep that the shepherd had, they weren't just, they, the shepherd knows all of his sheep. To me, they all look alike. But the shepherd, he knows every single one of those sheep. You're not a commodity. You're not a name. You're not a number. You are somebody whom God is deeply interested in and who deeply he deeply cares about. You may not know God. You may not care about God. You may not be following him. But he said he deeply loves you and he deeply cares and desires to have a relationship with you. It's not a coincidence that you're here today because God is the one who is seeking after us to draw us closer to himself. You are deeply loved by God and worth the cost of whatever it takes. Got a picture here of uh, Shrek. Shrek the sheep. <laughs> this is what it looks like. Shrek was a sheep from the UK that uh, had a tendency to wander. He didn't like to be shorn, as, as you can see. And when it came to sheep shearing time, he would hide. The shepherd would usually be able to find him, but at this time, he couldn't find him. He obviously had been eaten, but he never stopped looking for the sheep. Take a guess how long it's been since that sheep had been shorn. <laughs> Between five and ten. Six years. Six years. There was no carrying this sheep back. There was no carrying that sheep back. But he never stopped looking. He never stopped looking for six years until he found it. It was hiding, hiding in a cave. It would go out and eat, and it would go back in and hide. Six years. And the shepherd did for that sheep what he couldn't do for himself. And he brought him back. So where are you? Where are you today? How is it with your soul? Because as we read this, you're worth the price. You're worth the price to be found. But the shepherd knows his sheep, and he knows which ones are prone to wander. You know, in a family, you've got, you know your kids, right? And you know which ones are going to do the right thing, and you know which ones are going to kind of go off in their own direction. The shepherd knows which ones are going to wander. And what he would do, you're going to hear more about this next week. Pastor Sam's going to preach next week. And so I'm not going to steal your thunder, Sam, but he's got two, he had two, two things that he had, a staff and a rod. A staff, you know, the shepherd's rod, or shepherd's staff, you know that. But the, but the rod was something different. Rod was about this long. And it was a defensive weapon. It was a close-in close contact kind of weapon that the shepherd used. But he not only used it when he was like, when David talks about going after the lamb that was in the mouth of the, the bear or the lion, he didn't use it always for that. But when a, lamb, when a sheep was beginning to wander, he would uh, take that rod and he, and he would throw it towards the sheep. Some of us, we got cats at home. Thank the Lord, no more cats. If you got cats, blessings on you. We had cats. My daughter went away to school and left us with two cats. So we had the cats. And they're always getting into things. And you know when the cat's getting into something and you don't want it to be doing that, you throw your, you th take off your slipper and you throw it. You know, I never hit the cat. <laughs> you throw it at the cat so that the cat will stop whatever it's doing and go off and find something else. This is what's going on here. There are times when the shepherd needs to warn the sheep that it's wandering. And God, because he loves us, 
even though he knows our tendencies, will still in his mercy take the time to say, you are walking dangerously close to a place that you don't need to be. He says to Cain, Cain and Abel, they're the two sons of Adam and Eve. And we read in Genesis chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. He says to Cain, God says, why are you angry? Cain, okay, Cain's the one who took care of all the, all the animals. And his brother Abel, excuse me, back way. Abel is the one who takes care of all the livestock. Cain is the one who takes care of all the, the fruit and the vegetables. Both of them would bring a sacrifice. There's nothing wrong between the sacrifices. It's the attitude in which they were bringing them. And that's what God stops Cain with. And he says, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you. You must master it. God is warning Cain. He knows what's in his heart. And he's warning him, if you continue on in this direction, this is where it leads. And God in his mercy will step into our hearts and lives. It may be on a Sunday morning. It may be in a devotional you read. It may be something you hear on the radio. But there are times where God in his mercy steps in and says, if you continue to go in this direction, this is where it's going to lead. With Peter. Peter, he said to, Jesus said to him, before he goes to the cross, he says, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. That is uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 31. He said, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. I got a picture here of them sifting wheat. And when he says Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, it's not just like you, Richard. It's more Barry, the, the southern, you all, is what he's talking about there. It, it, it's the you all, it's all of you. Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. And then he says, then, then he says, before this night, he says, all of you will fall away from me. And Peter jumps up and he says, never. Not me, Lord. They'll they, all fall away from you, but I never will. And Jesus says, before the rooster crows, he said, you will deny me three times. When the rooster crows, Peter knows that he's denied Jesus three times. And it says in Luke that Jesus looks back at, at Peter. And Peter went out into the night and he wept bitterly. When Jesus rises on Sunday morning from the dead, what does he say? Who is the one that he singles out? He says, go tell the disciples that I've risen and Peter. Why? Because of all the disciples that needed to hear that, P that Jesus was alive, it was Peter. And where do they find him? He's fishing. G er, Peter later on, he's fishing with the other disciples. And Jesus, they don't know it's Jesus. He's on the shore and he says, have you caught anything? And he said, no. And he says, Throw your net on the other side. That should have been a clue to them right there that, that this wasn't going to be an ordinary fishing trip. And they do, and all the fish come up, and Peter says, it's the Lord. He jumps in the water, and he goes right before Jesus. And Jesus does what to him? Peter, how could you have turned your back on me? No. He says, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Take care of my lambs. Peter, do you love me? And at that point, Peter's, his response is, Lord, you know who I am. You know what I've done. You know what I'm capable of. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. He restores him. And what is God waiting to do in your life today? What is God waiting to do in your marriage? You see, where it begins is the willingness to say, God, I need help. Because the next part of this, it, this goes into the next part. It said, he leads, me, he, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. The shepherd knows the right path to take, the path that goes to righteousness. Now, I've got a picture here of, of paths in, in uh, okay, this path, you know, we know that this path goes this way, this path goes this way. In Palestine, there are all different kinds of paths, and they would be in the desert, and some were just paths that were driven or made by the wind. Other paths led nowhere, but the shepherd would know which path led to the right place, because sheep, they will just, if left to themselves, they'll just eat the ground down to there's nothing. They'll even pull up the roots and eat that. They'll just leave a place absolutely barren. 
And the shepherd knows he needs to continue to move his sheep along. And he'll move them to the right place. And he leads them where he knows where it is that they're going to find the right stuff for them. And what about us? Who's leading you? Who's leading you to? I mean, think of some of the decisions you have to make right now and this week. Because sometimes we say, well, that, that, that's an easy one. I, that's just a drop kick. I, I know what to do in that situation. There's a verse in Proverbs that says this, Proverbs 14, 12. It says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is what? It's death. And while it may not be physical death, it can be spiritual death. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, who's leading me? Who's leading my family? Who's the one who I turn to with my decisions? Now, of course, we don't need to turn to him and say, Lord, which toothpaste should I use this morning? Or, you know, what, should, I, should I shower today? Please, shower. Or, you know, what, what are, it's not like that. But there are bigger decisions that we need to make. And sometimes we don't even include God in those decisions. And then when we hear the results, it's like, how did I get myself in this mess? Because I'm the one who's leading Jesus, on the other hand, said this. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He said, I am the way. He said, I'm not a way. I'm the way. Someone has said, all roads lead to heaven. They don't. Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the only way. He said, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. Where Jesus seeks to lead us is where? Towards life, not towards death. But it is the person but if we choose not to stay on the path, because the path that God leads us in, it may not be where we want to go. It may not be easy. Some of you walk through some health crisis. Some of you are walking through some marriage issues. Some of you are walking through issues in your condominium or walking through issues with finances. And sometimes God in his mercy leads us through those places. I can remember early on in ministry, we were in, uh, in California, and we had to sell our, our building. I may have shared this story already. We had to sell our building. Um, I, I got there as a new pastor, and I opened up the file drawer and opened up this big book, and all these things fell out, and I realized they were bills. The church hadn't been paying their bills. And I get a call from our national office, and they said, um, we're going to call in your loan. I'm 31 years old. I have no idea what it means to call a loan in. I, I said, what does that mean? He said, um, that means your building is going to be sold. It was a brand new building. These people had built this building, brand new building. And he said, now you need to go to your congregation on Friday night and tell them that the building is going to be sold. Ooh, how would you like to do that? <laughs> he said, but if you guys can come up with $92,000 in arrears towards the interest you'll maybe be able to stave off the having to sell your church. <laughs> we're just a small congregation. And so I had to tell them that. The church went from 120 down to 30 just about overnight. People stopped into my office on the way, way after out of church. Pastor, nothing against you, but uh, we want to go to church where there's going to be a Sunday school. What? I have got four kids and I don't want a Sunday school for my kids? You know, it's like, yeah. And so where we went, we had led to another church. The church, we just swapped churches. They took over our, they bought our building, we took over their lease. That was tough. We were in a really, really bad neighborhood. The pizza wouldn't deliver there, mail wouldn't deliver there. It was just really, really tough neighborhood. We had to plant holly around the church because the, we had trouble with homeless people just sleeping by the church and things. It was a tough place. And then we weren't getting paid. And we had just this small congregation. And somebody said, Pastor, you got to leave. They said, you, you can't afford to stay here. The only problem was God hadn't told us it was time to leave. Those were tough days when you go three weeks without getting paid, and then when you finally do get paid, your rent check bounces because there wasn't enough money in there. It's like, God, what are you doing? And we had this brown couch in our house. And there were nights where we would just weep and say, God, what do you want? Where, where, where are you leading here in this? Would I ever want to go back and live that out again? Never. 
But did the Lord teach us in that time when he says, pray, pray, um, give us this day our daily bread? Did we find out what that really meant? Yeah, we found out what it meant that God can provide when nothing else looks like it can provide. And sometimes the road that God leads us on, the path of righteousness, is not an easy road. But it's a road that he chooses for us. And we choose to either stay on the path or to get off the path. Question, anybody here been to Zion National Park? Anybody hike Angel's Landing? Oh, okay. So I'm on the treadmill at the Y the other day. And I'm watching, and, and it's doing a hike and it's going up Angel's Landing. No problem. You, you go several thousand feet in a very short time and there's switchbacks. Nothing to it. Then you come to the chain part where it's, there's really no path. All you see is just chain. They've got these poles down into the, into the stone and it's chain. And you've got to hold on to the chain and drag yourself all the way up. It's insane. I don't know how you did it, Barry. How you did it, Barry. It's like, wow. <laughs> yeah, because here, it's the thing. The same path up is the same path that people have to use to come down. So you're trying to kind of get around people like this and I'm watching this. And the reason that they have a sign that says stay on the path, because it's like a thousand foot drop down the side. And you know me, I love heights, right? <laughs> it's like, no way. I had to turn off that. It's like, I can't watch this anymore. This is insane. These guys walking up this thing. There's a reason that God tells us to stay on the path. There's a reason that God continually warns us. Because he said there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. But it's humility that says, as we read in Psalm 25, verse 4 and 5, it's humility that says, show me your way, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. What are you walking through today that that needs to be your prayer? Are you stuck in a place? It's like, how in the world did I get here? And, and what important, how am I going to get out of this? It's humility that says, God, show me your way. God, would you bring me back? I, I, I can't. The next verse, verse 9. This is, he guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. It's humility. Humility that leads us back. Now, the shepherd leads us. It says he guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He guides us in what the right thing is to do for his namesake. Why? Well, why, why is that so important? Because, remember, sheep aren't just a commodity. Sheep were precious to this, to this shepherd. And when somebody saw your sheep, this is huge, when somebody saw your sheep, they saw the shepherd. Because when they see the sheep, they saw the care that the shepherd put into them. And when, God's, when people see us, God desires that they would see who? Himself. That's why he guides us in paths of righteousness. See, God will never, he will never lead you to do something that goes against his word. Never. That will never happen. God will never tell you to do something that goes contrary to his word. He can't. He can't. It goes against his nature. And we see God's nature very clearly. Exodus chapter 34, verse 4, or verse 6. He says, Moses, audacious. He says, Lord, show me your glory. And God says, you can't see my glory and live. But he put him in a cleft in a rock and he passed by, and as he passed by, Moses sees the backside of God, and look at what he's proclaiming. He said, he's the Lord, the Lord, compassionate. Of all the things that he talks about first, he says, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And it also goes on to say that he doesn't leave sin unpunished. He doesn't leave sin undealt with. But he knows what he says. This is his nature. 
And when God leads, he leads us so that we will be like him. My question is, when people look at us, what do they see? Do they see Christ or do they see someone else in the world? When, when, five, ten years down the road, when people think when they, come, when they drive by a rise, and think of how many thousand people drive by here every single day, what's the first thing that's going to come to their mind about a rise church? Is it going to be that, oh, that's the, that's the compassionate church, that's the loving church? Because that's what God would want. He wants us to be known as people who reflect his character. Tony Campolo, he's your, he's your typical Eastern guy from, uh, from Philadelphia. and You can spit to, spit to New York from there. And uh, he t- he's a preacher who's asked to go to minister in Honolulu. He says, you go to preach in Honolulu when you're from, from Philadelphia. He said, your, your time clock's all screwed up. And so he said, I got over there. He said, 3.30 in the morning, my stomach was telling me, or 3 o'clock in the morning, he said, my stomach's telling me, it's time to wake up, time to go eat breakfast. And so he said, I look around, and he said, I went down this alley, and here's there's a small diner. He said, I went in, there's the only place open. So he goes into this diner, and there's a great big guy with his back to him, and he says, it's just you know, stools. So he sits down, and the guy says, what do you want? And he looked over, and there was you know, one of these things with donuts underneath, you know, with the glass over the top. And he said, uh, I'll have a donut and a cup of coffee. The guy goes, like this with his hands, takes the lid off and reaches with paw in there and grabs out, the, grabs out the donut and puts it down on a plate and pours him a cup of coffee. And he says, there you go. And so he said, here I am. I'm looking at him and looking at this donut and thinking, well, I'm hungry, so I'll just, I'll just eat it. So he starts to eat this donut. All of a sudden, the doors open up, and the place is filled with prostitutes. It's all kinds of prostitutes. He said, here I am sitting there eating my donut and all these people, and they're talking over the top of me. And one gal says, hey, tomorrow's my 39th birthday. And one of the other gals says, so what? What do you want? You want a party for your birthday? Who cares if it's your birthday tomorrow? And she says, don't get all bent out of shape. She said, I've just, I've never had a birthday party. And she said, I'm just saying, tomorrow's my birthday. As quick as they came in, they all left. And Campolo's sitting there still eating his donut, and he says, the guy across the counter, his name is Harry. He says, Harry. He says, yeah, what? He says, the gal who's in here talking about her birthday. Yeah, he says, her name's Agnes. He says, how about you and I, we throw a birthday party for Agnes tomorrow night. And he looked at Campolo and stared at him for a minute. He says, that's a great idea. He yells to his wife in the, in the back and he says, hey, this guy wants to throw a party for Agnes tomorrow night. She says, that's an amazing idea. He said, tell you what. He said, I'll be here tomorrow, mo- tomorrow morning. He said, I'll be here at 2 o'clock in the morning. He said, I'll decorate this place all up for a party. And he said, I'll buy a cake. And Harry said, no, no, no. He says, cake's my deal. He said, I'll take care of the cake. So the next day, he gets there at 2 o'clock. They dress it all up. By 2.30, he said, that place was filled with, he said, every prostitute and person around that area. Word had gotten out on the street there was going to be a party. And at 3.30, in comes Agnes and her whole crew, and they yell, happy birthday, and they bring, out a, they bring out the cake, and Agnes is just overwhelmed. And she's crying, and Harry's like, Agnes, blow the candles out. Come on, blow the candles. We're wanting some cake. And she just stares at it, and he, so finally he says, okay, I'll blow out the candles. She says, here, Agnes, cut the cake. And she's just staring at the cake, and he says, come on, Agnes, everybody wants a piece of cake. And she said, do you mind if I just take this home and show it to my mother. She said, I've never had a cake. And he said, she leaves hauling the cake out like it's the Holy Grail. And as she leaves, the whole place is quiet. And Campolo says, uh, he said, in one of those rare moments, he said, I thought, said, why don't we pray? <laughs> he prays. And he said, he prayed for Agnes, prayed that God would heal her of the wounds that and the things that had happened towards her. Prayed for the other ladies. Prayed and asked that God would show his, his compassion and tell him how much that he loves him. And when he finished, Harry's staring straight at him. He said, you never told me you were a preacher. He said, you didn't ask. He said, what kind of church do you preach at? And he said, in a moment of divine revelation, 
He said, God, he said, a church that throws birthday parties of prostitutes at 3 o'clock in the morning. And he said, no way. No way. There is no such church. Because if there was a church like that, I would go to that church. Okay. So what kind of church do we want to be? Do we want to be a church that reflects Christ? Because to reflect Christ might be a little messy. But it's the compassion of God, as we read in Revelation, Romans 4, 2, 4. It's the compassion of God that leads to repentance. And when the compassion of God is seen in and through us, that's going to have an impact. And when I'm talking about community, I see people here who live in Oostburg, some who live a long ways away, others of you who live in Sheboygan Falls, Howard's Grove, Cedar Grove. We're all over the place. But the mandate hasn't changed. And the mandate is for us to look like Christ. And it begins with that calling back. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know your heart. But for some of us, we're stuck. Maybe it's our marriage. Maybe it's our relationship with God. Maybe we don't even have a relationship with God. And we're stuck. We're thinking, how do I get out of this mess? And it begins, first of all, by saying, God, I need you. And asking God, inviting God into the mess. Because remember, he's the good shepherd who deeply loves you and cares about you. And that's where it begins, is with that humility of saying, God, I need you. A second thing that I would encourage you with is, say, where, where are you? To be honest. To be honest with yourself. And maybe for you and your, your wife, maybe today is the day that it's going to be nice outside. Maybe you take a walk down by the lake and just say, hey, how are we doing? And don't, don't get angry. You know, don't yell at one another, but just, how are we doing? And where do we need to shore things up? Where, where have we taken God out of the equation? And how can we invite God back into this? And then as well, ask Him about your relationship with Him. God, how are we doing? And who's leading? And as I look out in this room, I see some really smart people. <laughs> but we can get into some pretty big messes, can't we? Because we are smart. And we need him to direct us and to lead us. It's the humble that say, lead me, Lord. Amen. And I wonder if before you leave the parking lot today, that wouldn't be your prayer, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you to lead me. I need you to lead my family. I need you to lead in the midst of this mess. Because I don't have any answers right now. But God, you do. Would you lead me? And the last thing I leave us with is, so what are we going to look like? What are we as a church going to look like in five years? What are we going to be known for as people drive by here? I guarantee you, when the church becomes known as a place that deeply cares about people, there can be enough places in this church, and that's not what it's about, about building a bigger church. It's about having a place where people know that they're loved Amen. because they can affect other people who affect other people who affect other people. And that's what Christ is wanting to do. Amen? Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you, Lord, that you do for us what we cannot do on our own. You bring us back. And God, I don't know where we're at this morning, where different people are at. But I know that, Lord, you're just waiting for the word. Lord, for some of us, we put on the Sunday clothes and we got a smile on our face. But inside, there's a lot of hurt. And you're the one who brings us back. And I pray that, Lord, in, in humility, we would, we would ask for you. Ask for you to do what we can't do on our own. Heavenly Father, would you 
would you bring restoration and healing into marriages? Lord, for some of us, we, we love our spouse, but we just don't like them all that much. And I pray that, God, you would do the work of restoring relationship. Lord, would you also restore our relationship with you and put a hunger in our heart again for you? God, thank you that you don't stop looking for us. And Lord, I pray, I pray that your character would be seen in us. God, that's so hard. Man, that's hard. Because sometimes people are just flat-out knuckleheads. And our first response is not godly. Mine isn't. God, I pray that you would help us to become a church that is known for its love and compassion. I don't know how you're going to do that. But Lord, I know that's part of your will for us here. So God, begin in us and open up opportunities for us to reflect the love, the compassion, and the mercy of Christ to those that you've put in our neighborhood. And I ask and pray all this, God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Hey, it has been good to be with you this morning. I pray the blessing of God over you today. I pray his strength. Some of us are walking through some tough stuff. I pray the blessing of God's strength over you. I pray the blessing of his love for you, that you would know how absolutely he loves you and how much he cares for you. And I pray that you would have an amazing week this week. May the Lord go with you and bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you back next week for Pastor Sam.